0: Christian Medical and Dental Associations hope you enjoy today's chapel message. I want to share a passage of scripture with you and a a few words that I hope will will be an encouragement and both a challenge to you today. And so I want to read with you uh, from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking in what we often call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're familiar usually with uh, the Beatitudes, uh, but following those Beatitudes, he gives us these words. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to share with you about this passage of Scripture uh, for for a few moments. And, And if you will, there's something about this passage that I'm not sure that we entirely pick up on or allow to resonate the way that it properly should. And so if you will allow me, I want to kind of just point at you for a moment. And I know we're not supposed to do that. So uh, rather than pointing a finger, I'll point the whole hand. I don't know if that makes it any better, but it somehow feels a little bit better to me. But when Jesus was saying this, I want you to understand that he was speaking to a small group of followers. And he looks at them and says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light Of the world and for us to understand and to let that resonate within that just as Jesus was saying to them you he's saying to us you you are the salt of the earth you and by implication you and you alone there is no one else apart from you there is no salt of the earth apart from you there is no light of the world And so we need to understand what that's saying, and it's saying something very important. It says something about the world, and it says something about each and every believer. It's saying that the world, and we'll get to what salt means here in just a moment, but essentially the world is decaying. It is rottening, and apart from some Christian influence as salt That decay, that rottenness, that putrefaction is going to continue. We are to be the salt that can stop that. And we need to understand what that means. Salt is a common substance. It was readily recognized in every household, and so was light. These were common substances. And I'm reminded in that that God uses us normal, common, everyday people and I'm thankful for that. Uh, there are a lot of uses of, of salt. Uh, I, I was reading a theological work that described 11 different uh, common uses of salt. I want to talk about three of them because I think they share some things in common. And I'll try to make it quick because I've already hinted at the one that I believe is the most important. But th- there are three things that we primarily use salt for that they use salt for. One of them is, is flavor. Uh, you know, salt is a seasoning. It adds flavor. I, 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 I'm a little addicted to salt myself. Uh, I, I'm one of those people that. You know, you serve me my food, and I grab the salt shaker before I taste it. I figure it, it's not going to hurt it. It can always have a little extra. Some of y'all are in that category yourselves, and, uh, and, and you know what that is. But uh, I always think of a passage of Scripture uh, when, when I'm thinking about salt because certainly it was used as a flavor. The book of Job, Job chapter 6, verse 6, Job says this. He says, Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? And the answer is not and be enjoyed, it can't. He follows that up with this statement. Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Is there? Not really. Not really. I don't don't like deviled eggs, but every function I go to, like a you know, dinner at church or Thanksgiving or Christmas dinners at my house, there's always deviled eggs. And uh, apparently people do enjoy them. I do not enjoy them. And I've got family members that uh, apparently don't really enjoy them either. But always on those trays, particularly when my mom has prepared deviled eggs, there's always, maybe you all have some people like this in your family, there's always just a few places that have nothing but the white of the egg. Uh, the the yellow stuff that makes it a deviled egg has been removed. I call them undeviled eggs uh, because somebody took the deviled part out. And they're there for a few people in our family that just like to eat the white of of an egg. But I've noticed something. Every one of those people, without exception, they pick that white of the egg up and then they grab a salt shaker and they just sit there and do this. And I'm like, you don't really like the white of an egg, do you? You just like putting salt on something, you might as well dump it in your hand and lick it off Uh, because the white of the egg doesn't have any flavor. It it just doesn't. And uh, you want something to flavor. Well, look, I believe that Christians ought to make life filled with flavor. It ought to be enjoyable. The world shouldn't look at us and say, oh, they're just a bunch of old fogies or a bunch of dead folks or they're no fun. Uh, we, we, We ought to be people that make life more enjoyable. We ought to bring joy and flavor and fun to life. I really do believe that, but I don't think that's the primary thing that that Jesus is talking about even though flavor is a part of it. The other aspect is that salt could be used for healing. Now, I'm not a doctor and you could bring one of the doctors in to maybe explain how salt is healing, but we know that it does have some therapeutic properties about it. Uh, You can put it in a a minor cut. You can rinse out sores that are in your mouth with salt water. We've all done that before. And those are things that we do that help with healing. Uh, but, But I still don't think that's the primary thing he's talking about. The thing he's talking about, I think, is preservation. Because they lived in a time before refrigeration. And yet they needed to preserve meats, in particular fish. And the way to do that was with salt. The world over still does that. There are places, uh, your, your directors down in Africa, there are places in South Africa today that there is no refrigeration, but they preserve meats by drying it out with salt. And that meat will last seemingly indefinitely because that salt has been rubbed in and it has cured and it has preserved that meat. And all these households knew that. It didn't matter what kind of household it was, they would gather salt and they would rub that salt onto that meat to preserve that meat, to preserve that fish, so that they could eat it at a later time. And so that's the primary purpose of salt. And that's why I say to us, we live in a world that is decaying, that is putrefying, that is dying, that is rottening, And we are the salt that can preserve it. And one of the things I want you to notice about all three of the examples that I've given you, if salt is to be used for seasoning, if salt is to be used for healing and therapeutic purposes, if salt is to work as a preservative, one of the things that we must understand is it has to come in contact. It has to be rubbed into those things. If it's going to season your food, it's got to be put on your food. If it's gonna heal or help heal a wound, it has to be placed on a wound. If it is going to preserve those meats, it had to be literally just rubbed in with some degree of effort into those meats. If we're going to preserve and help heal or even flavor our world, we're gonna have to come in contact with our world. We cannot retreat inside our churches and say, this is where we do church. This is where we do life. This is where we do fellowship. We're going to have to come, come in contact with the world that needs salt because, apart from us, you are the salt of the earth. So, without you, guess what? There is none. And that world's going to decay and die. You've got to come in contact with your world and you've got to do so as salt with Christian influence in your community and in your society. Now, time's not going to allow me to elaborate on this, uh, but, but one of the things that we are aware of is that salt, sodium chloride, is a very, very stable substance. It doesn't break down very easily. And so when, when Jesus says if, if it has lost its flavor, How shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt doesn't really lose its saltiness, so to speak. You can't break sodium chloride down. But what did happen to salt was that it could be rendered impure or useless by having too many other substances or impurities mixed in it. And so when there were too many other things going on, you tossed the salt out. And there would still be enough sodium chloride in it that it might kill the weeds in the street. And people walked on it. It was basically a powdery substance. But it was no longer good for what you needed it for. Flavoring food or healing wounds or preserving meats. Because there were too many impurities in it. And one of the struggles that you and I have living in society that we're supposed to come in contact with is that we do not want too many impurities Mixed in. The world is constantly trying to influence us rather than allowing us to influence the world. And so we need to maintain our saltiness, so to speak. But we also need to make sure that we continue to be light. He says, likewise, you and you alone, there is no other. There is no light apart from you in this world. I won't take the time, but we could go through the pages of Scripture and we would discover that the world loves what? Darkness. And that Jesus tells us repeatedly that we are light. And just as we are to function as salt... And prevent the decay of this world. We are to function as light and illuminate the darkness of this world. Because just like it tells us something about the world and something about us. The world is in darkness apart from us. And we are to be that light. And look, we don't just reflect the light. A lot of times when we talk about this passage, we say we're kind of like the moon and and God is, if you will, the sun, and we are reflecting his light. And while that is very true, we also are reminded by Peter that you and I are partakers of the divine nature, and therefore we are to be light. We're not just reflecting his light. We are to be light. And light exposes and expels darkness, And the more light you have, the more darkness you can expose or expel. You know, the religious leaders hated Jesus because he exposed them for who they were. They were blind leaders of the blind. They were walking in darkness. Light reveals the truth and it reveals the Savior. The truth of the gospel is light. There's an interesting truth about that, though. If you're in a really, really dark room... You don't need much light to see, do you? You just need just a little bit. I mean, uh, uh, turn on bright lights, it can be overwhelming. Some of you know what I'm talking about, because your spouse does that to you every now and then in the middle of the night. Or you do that to them and they yell at you, turn out the light, because they've been blinded by it. And it is amazing that when we're in absolute darkness, just a little bit of light, Is enough to help us and allow us to see. Folks, we live in a really dark world. If we just shine a little bit of light, it lets the world see the truth in us. And you and I need to make sure that we're doing what Jesus said we're to be doing. That we are functioning as light. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill... Cannot be hidden. You put a city up on a hill, everybody around is going to see it. Why? Because of lights. And it's going to be even more visible at night. I love hearing some of the missionary stories than places where they don't have as much light as we have. And they talk about how when it gets dark, they can look up on the mountains above them. A lot of these uh, countries are mountainous areas where missionaries work. I think about my parents have been in uh, Ecuador and uh, Nicaragua, and they talk about it at night how you can see those villages up on the hillsides because of the light. It wasn't enough light for you to see it in the daytime, but at night you can see it. Everybody knows it's there. Likewise, you wouldn't light a candle and put it under a bushel. What would be the point in that? If it's under a bushel, you're hiding its light. It does you no good. You light a candle and you set it up high so that it gives light to everything in the house. That's its intent. That's its purpose. It's utterly ridiculous to think that you would cover up the light. And it's utterly ridiculous to think that our light wouldn't shine for Christ. That others would not see Christ in us. Our light is supposed to shine. We do not hide our Christianity. We live it. And we live it every day. And we're to live it so that others might see it. Jesus then went on and he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our good works is a way of letting our light shine for Christ. Not so that they see us, but so they see Him. That we are doing what we do because He has instructed us to do what we do. That He has made a difference in our lives and therefore our light shines for Him. Our good works could also be translated our beautiful works. The way we live our lives ought to be beautiful. And the Scriptures say a lot of things about that. And we could look at a lot of places. For example, we're to feed the hungry. We're to clothe the naked. We're to welcome the stranger. We're to visit the sick and minister to those who have been imprisoned. Yeah, all of those are great and all of those are good and all of those are beautiful. What about some of the other things that the Scriptures tell us to do? They're also beautiful. Control our anger control our tongue, control our lust, pray for those who are in positions of authority even though you don't necessarily agree with them. How about loving those who hate you or despitefully use you? All the commands of Scripture are beautiful when they are lived out in our lives. When they are obeyed, our light shines with the beautiful works for his glory and we want to give him glory so that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven give glory means praise but they'll praise God for what they see in our lives I, as, as he mentioned, I've got a, a a twenty year old daughter, and I don't know. It used to be uh, just before my daughter entered middle school, when she was in elementary school, it was funny. We used to joke that that every girl, for whatever reason, and and being the father of a girl is was something that was brand new to me. There's no girls in my family, period, anywhere, and uh, so being the father of a daughter was interesting. And I was trying to learn all I could about. Uh, young, young ladies, and I discovered that middle school girls, they all think they're going to be the next superstar in some way. My daughter loved to sing, and she thought she was going to be the next person on the radio, and I discovered they all do, whether they can sing or not, it seems, but that has changed. That has changed in recent years. Now they all want to be an influencer, uh, and, and my daughter has more Instagram accounts than, than I'm aware of or even want to be aware of. And uh, she wants to be an, an influencer. And I, and I laugh because on, on one of her, she has a, a specific, uh, Well, this one's not Instagram, it's TikTok. She has a TikTok account of uh, Disney bounding. Does anybody know what Disney bounding is? Okay, we got we got two people. Congratulations! They'll explain it to you later. Basically, you, you you want to look like a you want to resemble a Disney character in some way. So, for example, if if you wanted to be uh, Pocahontas, I'm gonna make one up. You would wear something in some way that said this reminds me of Pocahontas. And she has created these TikToks uh, of of buy this from Amazon, this from Amazon. It's mostly Amazon, links to Amazon accounts. And she now has 20,000 people watching her and asking her to create another Disney bound for a character. And I'm like, it blows my mind. I'm like, we live in a crazy world. Why are people doing this? Why are people asking my 20-year-old daughter to do this? This makes no sense to me. But she wants to be, and I think about this, an influencer. I'm thinking, you and I, are the ultimate influencers. We are to influence our society, and we do so as salt and as light. It's not, it's interesting, in this passage of Scripture, it is not an imperative, which we talk about often in Scripture, which are commands, but it's not a command. It's an indicative. It is simply a statement. He's not simply telling us to go be salt and light. He says, you are. You are salt and light. Now go be what you are. And as such, you'll be the ultimate influencer in our society that needs that influence. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for your son. Thank you for Christ Jesus. Father, who, who gave us these commands, but many others to go with them. And Father, that help us understand to be what he tells us we are, We need to simply be obedient. We need to go function in that capacity to be salt uh, that that comes in contact with this world, that doesn't retreat from it, but comes in contact with this world. And Father, also to be light that, that doesn't retreat from darkness, but exposes darkness as it reveals the truth. Help us to be what we're supposed to be in Christ Jesus. And help us then live beautiful lives that will bring honor and glory to you that others might join us in praising you. In Christ Jesus' name we ask. Amen.